Thank you very much, Bertie. It's nice to be with you, and we do wish you a happy new year and trust you have a blessed year uh, in the one that we have entered. It's been a very unusual uh, year. I'm sure you're all familiar with that, and it seems to get more bizarre instead of getting more plain. And there are events that are happening worldwide that are really beyond our understanding. But uh, certainly things are happening uh, around the world that are very interesting. And for those who have uh, some interest in end times and interest in the events of the world and the activities of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, uh, there are certainly uh, things that are happening that are of great interest regarding end times. And I honestly do believe that we're in uh, unprecedented days and uh, we should be praying and should be uh, seeking to follow the Lord in our lives and to do His will uh, when we have the opportunity. Now, it's nice to be here, and I want to uh, read a few verses that are familiar, uh, and I've looked at them before with you, but that's immaterial. Um, God's Word is living, and it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we're going to read together from Ephesians in chapter 5, and then we're going to read a few verses from chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 5, and then we'll look over to chapter 6. And uh, chapter uh, 5 is uh, in verse uh, 11, Ephesians 5 and 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which were done of them in secret. But all things are reproved and made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come over with me now, please, to uh, chapter 6. And we're going to <clears throat> break in at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Amen. We know God will bless the public reading of his infallible word. Now let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for this wonderful book. We thank you. Your word is truth. And Lord, we come to bow before your great throne, and we acknowledge our great need, Lord, of grace and help. We thank you that you have said, Lord, that we have to come boldly to the throne of grace, and there we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. And in thy name, Lord, I take authority over every power and influence of darkness 
over the lives of your own people. Every activity of demonic spirits, Lord, that harass and, Lord, are bringing dullness and deadness into the Christian life. I pray, Lord, for revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would put a fire, a wall of fire, around this place to, to, this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would grant the anointing of your Spirit, grant the oil to be poured forth, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray for a reviving, for a quickening, for a thawing in the souls of your people, Lord. I pray for blessing on your people. Oh, Father, we, we need thee, Lord. And, and Lord, I need thee. And we pray that you will cleanse us, Lord. Please cleanse me and sanctify me, Lord. Yes. I give all I have and am to you, Lord. And I pray for the anointing of your spirit to bring liberty and, Lord, freedom and joy and light into lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I was interested in what Bertie was saying at the very beginning. It seems the same note has been said year after year and decade after decade, encouraging the Lord's people to prayer. Um, it's always been the case down through the centuries. There has been a call for the people of God to come to prayer. And there are people who <clears throat> we call prayer warriors. There are people who, who almost live in prayer. And the Bible has much to say about that. It, uh, Paul, when he was writing to the church of Thessalonica, he said, pray without ceasing. And uh, Paul knew himself what it was to pray without ceasing. It was not a chore. It was labor. It was work, but it wasn't a chore. And many Christians don't have the desire to pray. We have to be honest. Many don't have the desire to pray. And I regularly meet people who come to see me, and that's one of the problems they have. And they're honest enough to confess it and to say, listen, I just don't have the desire to pray. I can do my 15 minutes. I can do what will, you know, kind of uh, set me aside and say, well, I have prayed, but, but no real enthusiasm for it and no real love for it and no real sense in which it's of any great value. And for that reason, many Christians abandon prayer because they don't really see any value in it. That's the reason. You see, if you really believed that prayer was powerful, if you really believed that God actually answered prayer, you would engage in it. But you don't believe it. In your life, you don't believe it. And so for that reason, your time is taken up with things that you believe are important. Now, that's just the way it is. So what we have to assess is not give off to people or say, well, you're not praying. What you have to say is, why? Why are you not praying? Why do you not have the desire to pray? I'm a great believer in hitting the thing where it is. You see, very often in the church we can come and we just keep preaching and preaching and preaching. But really, part of the calling of a preacher or a prophet or a priest of God is to ascertain where the people are. Where are the people? What is their condition spiritually? And when that is ascertained, then you begin, like a doctor, a good one that is, you begin to diagnose. And you say, well, this is the problem. So they're not praying. 
So we're going to have to find out and we're going to have to dig into that and find out and bring it to them why they're not praying. I'm so glad when I was saved, when I was 17, I was about 21. And inside four years as a Christian, I got so thoroughly disgusted with myself. (laughs) With myself. Now, I had plenty of criticisms of the church as well. And, you know, one of the things we do when we have a lot of problems in our own life, we're a bit like Adam in the garden. What did Adam do? Adam said to God, it's her. It was her fault. And that's what we do. We blame everybody else. We put the blame on the church. We put the blame on the pastor. We put the blame everywhere. But what we won't do is sit in a room and just be quiet and say, God, maybe there's a problem with me. That's a very necessary thing if you're ever going to learn to pray. And so I remember as a, as a, a 21-year-old, I got so thoroughly disgusted with my own prayerlessness, lack of appetite for spiritual things, lack of interest in winning souls. I knew I had to do all these things because the church was faithful in telling me how I needed to live. But I just didn't live that way. And I didn't have the desire. And so I began to ask God, God, what's wrong? And it was actually through a prayer meeting that God began to speak to me. And that prayer meeting was way back 34, five years ago in, in uh, our Orange Hall in Armagh. And then we moved to another, the old Elam Church. And that was where I remember meeting Bertie. But that was what made me go to those meetings. I was dissatisfied with myself. And you see, friends, I have read this morning about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that there's only one plan that God has made for to help you and I to learn how to pray. There's no plan B in Christianity. There's no second or third way. There's only one. And the reason why Christianity doesn't work for the average Christian today is because the average Christian is not prepared to pay the price that God demands for to enter into fellowship and continual um, contentment and, and joy and peace and fruit of the Spirit in their lives. There's a cost. And the Lord Jesus spoke much about that. In fact, Paul made it the center of his preaching. He talked so much about the cross. And Paul's emphasis in his Christian life was, if you want the best from God, you've got to die. That was Paul's message. You've got to die. And Paul died to himself. And Paul, as a result of that, became the great apostle, and of course Paul moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are many words that are used in the Christian church today, and they mean little or nothing to the average Christian. Praying. Now, it's a common word, and we sing it, and we use it, but if I was to ask you, what is prayer all about? and how to pray, 
and the objective of prayer and the purpose of prayer, and more importantly, answers to prayer, I wonder what you would have to say. Then, of course, the Bible has much to talk about holiness. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. That's a word that's bandied about a lot and misunderstood. Then, of course, the one that's very much misunderstood is the one of warfare. <laughs> Spiritual warfare. That's what Paul talks about here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And then, of course, we could go into witnessing. And all, all, the, all these words, well known in the church, but not so much activated in the life. Paul was aware consciously in his life of this warfare. The Holy Spirit had so enlightened Paul and opened his understanding and heart and mind that Paul knew he was fighting things. He knew he was fighting dark entities that were all around him. That's why he said, we're wrestling not with flesh and blood. Paul said, my problem's not people. He says, my problem's entities that are unseen. And whenever a Christian is always fighting and going on and arguing with other Christians, then that's one of the signs that they're not really a spiritual Christian. That's a sign that you're not a spiritual Christian because you haven't cottoned on yet that there's a warfare. You haven't cottoned on about these entities that are operating all around you and to do so much to bring devastation into the lives of people. Paul says, I'm aware of that. Paul said also, I pray without ceasing. I'm praying all the time. And many times he said he was weeping. Paul also declared that he was living in Christ. And he said, in fact, on one occasion, it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. Paul said, I have had a transfusion. I have had a change. I have had a metamorphosis. He said, the Paul that lived in my body, the Paul that went about to kill Christians, the Paul that was a radical Pharisee, the Paul that loved religion, he loved the rules, he loved the legalism. He, he said, that Paul died. That's, he's dead. Paul's dead. He said, it's no longer I that liveth, but he said, Christ lives in me. There's been such a change in me, Paul said, it's Christ who lives, so Christ speaks through me. Christ makes decisions through me. Christ burdens me. Christ helps me with prayer. You see, friends, the reason why we don't do so good at the Christianity is that we're doing it very often in our own strength. And it's failure. And failure is very important as a Christian. It's very important. The sooner that you come to devastation and total, complete, absolute, 100% failure, the better. Failure is so important. The realization, I can't pray. I can't win the lost. I can't be consistent. I can't do what God wants me to do. I can't fulfill what the Bible is commanding me to do. I can't do it. 
That's exactly where God needs to bring you and I so that we cry out in despair, Lord, I'm beaten. I'm beaten, Lord. I'm a total failure. And the Lord said, now that's just where I wanted you to get to. There are many Christians and they never get there. And Paul has much to talk about this. One of the churches that he mentioned, and I would say that the average really thoroughbred evangelical church in Northern Ireland would come into this category, Galatians. The Galatian church started out as they were born again of the Spirit and they knew the regenerating power of the gospel. They could all relate their testimony of how they were saved. But Paul writes to them after a period and he says, who has bewitched you? He said, I feel and I fear that I have labored among you in vain. You're all converted people, but he said, you're going back to circumcision. He said, you started supernaturally, but the supernatural's gone now. He said, you go by rules now. If we were to word it today, what we would say if Paul was writing to the church, he would say, you're all into your Bible, your translation. You're all into your dress code, how you dress. You're all into the externals. And he said, if you've got them right, then you really do believe that you're, you're really moving forward. But Paul said, you've been bewitched. You're deluded. And vast majority of evangelicals in Northern Ireland are deluded. They've been bewitched. Because they believe simply by keeping standards and rules and all these things that that somehow will bring the blessing of God. Let me tell you, friends, if you haven't caught it on, there are churches that are so strict in all these areas. Is the power of God upon them? Is the power of God upon them? Is the anointing of the Holy Spirit there? No. No. Because these things have their place. But what Paul said is he said, you've got the emphasis completely wrong. He said, what you have done, and I want to use a, a picture for you. If you went to buy a motor car, and that car was polished, and all the chrome on it was perfect, and the paint worked, and it's a beautiful car, and you get into it, and the seats are lovely, and everything looks brilliant. And there's no engine in it. You're going to buy it? Going to pay full price for a car? And the man says to you, you say, well, listen, there's no engine in this car. He says, yeah, but the seats are brilliant. Look at the chrome. There's no chrome polish like that. Look at the tailgates on that car. He said, no, listen, there's no engine in it. I forget about the engine. No, no, look, look, look at the paintwork. That's what Paul said the church was like, and that's what has happened in Northern Ireland. And as a result, the Holy Spirit has been set largely to the side. The third person of the Godhead has been relegated because legalism has taken the place of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is something that has to be repented of. It is not something that is merely to say, oh, well, it's there. It has to be repented of 
Because legalism it comes with a bewitching. It is a powerful spirit. It is not just a fact of a few views and opinions. It is actually a demonic spirit, a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit, which prevents the power of the Spirit functioning among the people of God. Paul said to the Galatians, I fear lest I have preached and ministered and prayed in vain because you have given up the life of the supernatural and you have gone to legalism. What are the signs of legalism? Brutality. Brutality. No mercy. <laughs> mercy? Not on the agenda. You step out of line... I remember one man who was a former minister in a particular denomination that I'll not mention. And he said to me, Alan, he said, our denomination, he said, you know, it's what, what I call herd mentality. He says, you join them and you're part of the herd. But he said, they know whether you're part of the herd or not. And he said, if you step out of line or you do something wrong, he said, it's curtains. Legalism is brutal. There's no compassion. The tongue, the tongue becomes a weapon as sharp as a razor. Because the whole thing is to do with image. Like the car from a distance, it looks the real thing. It looks the genuine. But you see, friends, when you get the bonnet lifted, there's no power. There's no power. When Paul was preaching, he said, I preach not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Legalism. It's a very real problem that Christians can fall into, and many do. The other one is, the other side of the road is from going on this path, you can fall into legalism or you can fall into license. And that is where Christians say, well, we don't live under the law anymore. We're in Christ. We live whatever way we like. We do whatever we like. We, we, it's just a free for all. And license is a problem where people say you can live whatever way you like. You'll get to heaven anyway. It doesn't matter. That attitude, you'll not find that attitude in the Bible. You'll find Paul very much dealt with that attitude when he was speaking to the church at Rome. You can live whatever way you like and you all will be well. But there's this road that God has dug out for us. There's this road that is presented. It's called in the book of Isaiah, the highway of holiness. It's a road that God has presented in Christ to you and I, and this is what he ever was exhorting the Christians. And you see, it really worked for Paul because Paul was a man of prayer. Paul wasn't brutal. He wasn't really harsh. The ones he was harsh was, was the legalists. He was harsh on them. He was harsh on anybody that was going to hurt the young converts. He was, he was brutal in certain scenarios where it was needed. 
But he was always comforting and praying and urging and trying to get the young converts and the churches to grow and longing for their maturity. And so he called them to warfare. He called them to prayer. He called them to holiness. I don't know how many Christians I have met over the years. Some of them saved for maybe 30 years, 40 years. And they come and they've got these problems in their life as a Christian. And I say to them, tell me this, what warfare, what, what fighting with the devil have you ever encountered? What, what, what warfare have you engaged in? I don't know what you're talking about. You're 30 years... Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That's an immediate admission that I really don't know about this road that God, this, this road of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, whenever you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God will make you holy. But God will also open the spirit world to you, and you'll begin to see the reality of that world that Paul saw. It's all by the Spirit. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't see these things. But God reveals them by his Spirit. And what happens is that God becomes real. When the Holy Spirit fills your life, God becomes real. And the great tragedy for many Christians is that God is not real. You see, what happens is people get saved, and they, they, they go through the honeymoon, and they're all excited, and everybody's excited around them. And then after a wee while, they settle down. And they start going to the meetings, and they're really getting, they're encouraged, and there's the newfangled with the Bible and Christians and all. And then they maybe get a hurt, or they get a disappointment, or a discouragement. And before long, they just go right down, and they just settle. And some stay there, and some sadly go back to the world for a variety of reasons. Why is it that they, they don't kind of, you know, move forward and take ground? Very often, it's simply because they are either not aware or they are not willing, but very often because they're not aware that God wants to do more in their life. You see, friends, to get saved, you come to the cross. You did that. You've done that. <laughs> you come to the cross to be saved. But to be sanctified, to be made holy, to enter into warfare, you must get on the cross. You have come to the cross, but have you got on the cross? Ha have you died? Are you willing to die to your ambitions? You see, maybe you were a child growing up, you went to little camps and stuff, and you asked Jesus into your heart, and you really meant it. And, but now that you've got a bit older, you see the world is becoming very real to you, and I mean, the world says you've got a lot of things going for you. You've maybe got good looks, or you've maybe got good ability. You've got youth. You know, and the world says, come on, give us a wee bit of your attention. Come on, give us. We, 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 we'll, supply, we'll meet your need. We'll give you materialism. We'll do this. Sure, absolutely. The Bible calls it the world. The world. But Paul, again, this character that, that God used to write most of the New Testament, you know what he said? He said, I am dead unto the world, and the world is dead unto me. An amazing statement. He said, the world, is, the world has no interest in me. 
was not some statement. The world has no interest in me. Paul said, the world has given up on me. They know I'm so sold out to Jesus Christ that I'm prepared to die for him that they couldn't care less. The world has given up. But the world hasn't given up on you. Ah, no. Because you still have plans for the world. You still have ideas for the world. And what you want to do is you want to have Jesus here and the world here. And the only reason perhaps this morning you want Jesus is just the reason why I have a spare tire in the rear of my car because I could hit an emergency and I would need that spare tire. And you'll maybe hit an emergency and you said it'd be good to have Jesus. <clears throat> my friend, you need to learn to consistently walk with the Lord. You need to learn to do that. There's many benefits, I can tell you. Many benefits. One of them, I'll just give you one by way of illustration. I was called just before Christmas about a man that I know very well, knew very well, and he was a lovely Christian. He got saved in his 40s, but he was one of those people that wasn't going to be a half-Christian, half-baked. He really wanted to follow the Lord, him and his wife. And shortly after they got saved, they gave their lives unconditionally to Jesus Christ. They became reckless spiritually. <laughs> they said, Lord, whatever you have, that's, that's what we want. And they gave themselves over to Jesus. And the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit. And you know, their home became a constant prayer meeting for years. Because whenever you let Jesus take control, the things that Jesus likes will begin to happen. They'll just start to happen. And the Lord became so real. They got involved in open airs. They had a family. They had so many responsibilities. But God was always first. And this man used to ring me, I would say every two months, and he would ring me and he would say, Alan, What's going on? What are you doing? Uh, what's your prayer meeting doing? He said, I just want to know so that I can pray. Do you ever do that? Do you ever ring anybody or ring a pastor or a leader or anything and say, I just, just wanted to ring you to say that, that I'm praying for you. And is there anything you want to put on the list for prayer? Ever do that? Well, this man walked with God. He really did walk with God. But he took an aneurysm before Christmas. The old heart started bleeding out, nothing they could do. He knew it was going to happen, they told him. So the blood's seeping out of his body, they bring him to hospital. I was talking to his pastor. His pastor said to me at the funeral, Alan, it was the most bizarre, unusual death scene I was ever in. I said, what way? He said, he was like a child going on an excursion. He couldn't wait to get to heaven. He was so excited. Couldn't wait. Knew it was going to happen. Knew that they couldn't help him. Knew that the blood was seeping out and very soon he'd be with the Lord. He said he was so excited.
That's one of the great blessings of walking with God. This man dealt with sin in his life. This man fought the devil all his life. This man made Christ the center of his life. And he just couldn't wait to get to heaven. His son of 50 came into the room who's not a Christian. One son's not a Christian. In fact, by the way, one of his sons got saved in that very barn over there. Over there, one of his sons. And whenever this son came in, he started to cry, and his dad turned to him who was dying and said, Son, don't be crying. I have prepared for this for many years. Son, this is what it's all about. Because we're in the land of the dying. This is not the land of the living. I have prepared for this, son. I'm ready for this. And he turned around to the pastor who was there to minister to him, and he said to the pastor, would you give a wee word of testimony and tell us how you could see him? Pastor, I have never heard your conversion. But the pastor knew fine well what he was doing. He was just wanting the pastor to tell his story to his son. <laughs> While he was dying, he was only thinking about his son being saved. That's a good way to die. That's a good way to die. But listen, if you don't walk with God, you can't die like that. He said to the pastor, he said, you know, this must have been the way the early Methodists were because it says of the Methodists in Wesley's day that they all died well. How do you plan to die? You say, Alan, don't bring that to me. I don't want to think about that. Well, you'd need to think about it. How do you plan to die? Do you plan to die well? Oh, that I may die the death of the righteous. The godly die in one way and the ungodly die in another. How do you plan to die? I remember a preacher, I was just a young Christian, and I remember a well-known preacher preaching in Portadown, and I went to hear him one errand, and he told the story of being in Belfast and invited to go to a home. And the man was in the orange and the black and the apprentice boys and every other thing you could be in. He was in it all, and all these were around the walls. And he said the wife was a Christian. She had called this minister to come and speak to her dying husband. And he said, whenever I went up into the room, he said, as I stood at the end of the bed, he said, I smelt hell. I smelt hell at the end of the bed. Always remembered that. Always remembered that. Imagine being the clergy and smelling hell at the end of the bed. Hmm. You see, friends, the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Any victories that I ever have seen in my life in the past, I attribute them only to the Holy Spirit. Any souls that were ever won for the Master, I only attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Any triumphs in prayer, any victory in temptation, I only attribute it to the Holy Spirit. And the more I permit the Holy Spirit to take control of my life, the victories increase. 
The more I give him freedom, the more I learn to love him. And if I offend him or grieve him, then I must learn to repent. I must learn to wait before him in silence and there let God speak to me. I want to encourage you as I close to permit the Holy Spirit to take control of your life. You say, Alan, how do I do that? And I'm going to be very brief. The first thing is the realization I'm not filled. <laughs> I'm not filled. I've got a lot of religion. I've got a lot of rules. I got them all through the church. The church led them on me, but boy, they're heavy to carry. They're very heavy to carry. And they haven't given me a passion for prayer. They haven't given me a passion for the lost. They haven't brought a tear to my eye over the ungodly. They haven't brought me into warfare with the enemy because religion can't do that. It's only God can do that. It's only Jesus can do that. And so, friends, what you have to do is to realize I'm not filled. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English preacher, said on one occasion, while preaching to many of his colleagues, he said, if, if at conversion we receive all the Holy Spirit and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, why in God's name are we the way we are? That was a very important question. Some of his colleagues got up and walked out. They were so cross with him. But, but that great man of God was right. If we get everything at conversion and we are filled with the Spirit at conversion, why in God's name are we the way we are? You have to answer that. It has to be answered. You see, friends, the reason why we are the way we are is because there are things in our lives that God still wants to do, and we have to be willing for to do them with him. God won't just zap us. God wants our, our attention. He wants our involvement in his work in our lives. And so the first thing is to be honest with God and say, Lord, this is my problem. Lord, I don't have an appetite. I know nothing about warfare. It might be that the Holy Spirit already has things before you that you need to deal with. It could be something to do with your life directly. There's something financially that you need to straighten out. There's maybe apologies that need to be made. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what you think you can cover up and say, well, I'm not dealing with that, the Holy Spirit might have a different view on it, and he'll come to you and he'll say, you might feel okay about it, but I don't. And if you want to know me better and you want to know God better, you and I are going to have to deal with that. And it might involve you going and apologizing to someone. It might involve you paying some money back. Might involve, I, I couldn't begin to tell you the things that it might be that you have done in your life that need sorted out. You say, but it's all under the blood. Well, it might be all under the blood, but my friends, if it's still holding you back and the Holy Spirit is not working with you the way that he wants to and the way that he should, then there's a problem. 
And Duncan Campbell said, the blood will only cover what we uncover. And sometimes as Christians, there's got to be an uncovering. Got to be honest with God. Would you have the courage to be honest with God and say, God, I'll be honest, I'll deal? There may be some sexual thing in your life. There's maybe something going on that, again, like the motor car, you look good, but, but there could be an area that's totally out of control. And sometimes it's to do with things you have done yourself. Sometimes it's actually related to things that were done on you. I've learned that after many years of prayer and ministry with people. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you were driven down. Maybe, maybe you had a very bad relationship with mom or dad. There could be a thousand reasons. They, they said you were rubbish. You were no use. You've never got over that. Whenever you're wounded, whenever you have a wound in your life, that wound, unless healed, will always be a barrier to spiritual growth. Always. Maybe somebody in your family was involved in the occult. Maybe somebody in your family was involved in something, and you weren't involved at all, but unfortunately you have been bequeathed that. And so you're trying to make progress forward, and again, there's real barriers and struggles, and you can't understand why. You have tried, but you're not making much progress. My friend, it's a vast, it's a vast arena, but the wonderful news is this, that if you really want to follow the Lord, the Holy Spirit knows all things, yea, the deep things of God. And the Holy Spirit can show you exactly what's holding you back. He knows everything. And I have to say, over 20 years of praying with people, I am still staggered, still staggered on occasions when I watch the Holy Spirit revealing in a person's life the reason why they cannot go forward spiritually. I am staggered at times. But one thing I have learned is that God wants us to be free. God wants us to enjoy his fullness. God wants us to have the fullness and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I want to tell you this morning, as a beggar who has found some bread, I'm simply telling you how you can find the bread as well. That's all I'm doing. But if you want that fullness, you've got to start asking God, Lord, would you show me anything in my life that you want to deal with? Just be honest and be open. If you haven't got an appetite for spiritual things, which I have no doubt there are some here today, and you have really no appetite for spiritual things, you've got your suit on, you're sitting in the right place, but inside there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You live for the world. You'll get excited when you get out of church. But I want to tell you that inside your life, there's brokenness. In behind that suit, there's a man or a woman, and there's areas of your life that's completely out of control. And if you don't bring that to the cross, and if you don't deal with that, that thing will overtake you. It will destroy you. We can't trifle with sin, you and I. We have to bring it to the cross. We've got to be honest with God, including the preacher. Hunger. The Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after right living, for they shall be filled. It's God's promise. Blessed are they that hunger. Say, I haven't got a hunger, Alan. will tell God. Say, God, I don't have a hunger, but I would like one.
The Holy Spirit will come and help you. He loves you. He knows where you are. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows the defeats that you have in your life, and he still loves you. He still loves you. He wants you out of that place. He wants to deliver you from that thing that's destroying you. Maybe as you sit here this morning, you sit with condemnation and guilt and shame. And you say, Alan, if people really knew what I was, I'm absolutely disgusted with myself, never mind others thinking of me. I want to tell you that if that's the way you think, that God can come and release you from that. Because there are many people, and they would love to be free. They would love to walk with God. They would love to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. But the enemy has a spirit of condemnation on them, a spirit of guilt on them, a spirit of self-loathing on them. They just can't see a way that God could ever forgive, that God could ever heal, that God could ever release. And they feel that they're entitled, and in fact, they deserve where they are. I want to tell you, you don't deserve where you are. I want to tell you that there's a loving Savior who met a woman at a well who was taken in adultery and had five husbands, and when Jesus met her, he didn't throw the card at her. He didn't. If she had been in a religious environment, God forbid, if she had been in some churches in Northern Ireland, it would have been the end of the road. Evangelicals, poof, not just sit beside her. Hmm. But the master met her. God met her. And he had nothing but compassion. And he told her all things that she had did. And whenever, whenever he told her that he needed the water and she started talking about water, he eventually led, him, led her to himself. And she ran and she, she dropped the water pot. <laughs> the thing that she had been so engaged and taken up with, she met Jesus and she forgot the water pot. And she ran back to the village and she said, Come and I'll show you a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Yeah, it was the Christ. She left the water pot. The thing that you're preoccupied with today, if you meet Jesus, you'll drop your water pot too. And you can go after the Lord. I want to tell you that you're never too young to give all to the Lord. And you're never too old. Those young couples who are Christians today, give your life to Jesus Christ. Start to talk to one another about where you really are spiritually. Begin to bring God into your home. Begin to say, let's be real Christians. Let's really seek God. Are there benefits? <laughs> sure, let me close. I was just sharing this with someone the other day. Many years ago, I was doing meetings down in Moy, or down in uh, Lisbon, rather, where, where we work. And a young man came to our meetings, and I had never heard of this before. It was quite bizarre, although I've read a lot. I've come across it a lot since. But this young man was uh, a Christian, and he was a really lovely young guy. And I was chatting to him, and he said, I had a conversation. And he said, you know, I used to dabble in witchcraft. I said, did you? He said, yeah, I was brought up in a in a particular strong evangelical denomination, but he said, I got involved with some bad people. And he said, we dabbled in witchcraft, and I got drawn into it. And he said, then I started to do a thing called astral travel. 
Now, astral travel is a very bizarre thing. You go into a room, you close the door, and with the aid of evil spirits, you leave your body. You go out and you travel. And so you can travel anywhere around the world. It's a supernatural power. You should never do it. Don't ever try it, because if you happen to get into a crisis in that moment, there's a cord. It's mentioned in Ecclesiastes. It talks about air, the silver cord is broken. That speaks of death when the silver cord, well, when those people leave their body, they all testify to having a silver cord that connects their body to their spirit man who leaves their body, and they go and travel. But what I found interesting about this man was he said, you know, I used to go and afflict Christians. He said, to my shame, he said, I, I regret it, I have repented, but to my shame, he said, I used to go and try to hurt them and do things. When I quizzed him a bit about it, he said, really, you know, when I got saved, he said it was like a shutter came down. He said it was like God didn't want me to even talk about it anymore. And he said it was like it all closed down. And that's just the way God would do, isn't it? God would just show it, shut an ungodly thing down that's, that you shouldn't be at. But this is what he told me. I never forgot it, and I've come across it on numerous occasions since. He said, you know, Alan, here was the interesting thing. I was able to afflict my minister. And if I told you the denomination, you'd be shocked. But I was able to get into his home and afflict him and hurt him. He didn't know I was doing it, but he said, I did it. He was a good preacher, but I hurt him. That's very remarkable. But he said, let me tell you this. He said, there were certain homes that I went to. And he said, there were walls of angels around those homes. And he said, I couldn't get near them. I said, well, how come? He said, the ones that were real, the ones that lived as God wished them to live, the ones that God made, God made first, and they sought to live in his spirit. He said, who used the armor of God, who were involved in the battle, he said they were protective. <laughs> Boy, did they have protection. But he said, sadly, there were others, and they weren't. You see, friends, we're involved in the great battle of the ages. And there is only one plan laid down by God for you and I to be overcomers. And that is that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we lay our lives on the altar and we invite the Holy Spirit to take total control of every part of our personality and ask the Holy Spirit to fill our homes with his presence so they're not homes full of fighting and arguing and cursing and swearing, but places of peace and prayer, and where God is felt. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father,
we want to thank you, Lord, that the same message that Paul preached and the same battle that Paul entered into is the battle that we're in today. We thank you that we have the same resources that Paul had. We thank you we have the same Jesus in us who dwelt in Paul. And we thank you, Lord, we can be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will use the word of God and really speak to our hearts. Lord, I love all these people, but I could never love them the way you do. But I pray that you will stir them, that you will draw them, that you will work in their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring their hearts alive in Jesus. And I pray in the days and the year that we've entered that there will be a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the island of Ireland, and that this land will become a praise on the earth, and that multitudes of drug addicts and homosexuals and people that are living lives that are so broken, so messed up, that these people will be mightily converted by Jesus Christ. And we pray that religious people will get free and they'll find the Lord in a new way. We pray, Lord, that you'll bring us back to simple apostolic Christianity, where God is real and where the supernatural is constant and where the people of God are full of the joy of the Lord. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.